I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like, I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this, I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this, I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels, I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed Wish that I could speak to giants After climbing up a green stalk That grew from my lime bead I wish that I could spread my wings I wish that I had seven limbs That way I'd hold on to everything And laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish Dímelo, dímelo At least I kinda understand it <laughs> Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit And get so large I could play pool with the planets yeah. I wish I was an astronaut I wish I knew more classic rock <laughs> Focused on myself You can't help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish That every time we love it It feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it It feels just like this I wish, I wish, and every time we move and it feels just like, like this, feels just like this, it's just, it's like, like who the donkey, we would turn some donkey into something. Hello, like hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to a long-awaited episode of The Debrief. I'm your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and we certainly do have a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to filibuster too much at the top. I know I promised you guys a call-in after one of last week's episodes and did not follow through. So here we are. Obviously, it's a big news day as well, so I can appreciate it if you'd like to talk about current events and not just what's been on recent um, episodes of Bad Faith Podcast. But as a refresher, today's episode was on uh, the... Uh, immigration humanitarian crisis and the refusal to acknowledge root causes with respect to sanctions, particularly when it comes to Venezuela. We also had some electoral politics chat. There's about a lot of news with respect to what's going on with Cornell West campaign, the Green Party. I'll be talking to him soon, but I'd love to hear what you guys think about all that's been going on in the electoral realm. And uh, let me know if you have any questions for me to pass on to him. I think I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow. Obviously, there was the announcement that RFK Jr. is running as an independent. We knew that was coming, but it was made officially today. Um, There was the astrology episode, which people have very strong feelings about. So uh, there's a lot on the table. Let's just get into it. For those who may have forgotten, I call someone from the front of the line and then randomly someone from in the mix of the line. So if you haven't managed to get in the very front of the queue, you still have a good chance of being called on. But let's start with you, Chris. How have you been? What's in your mind? I've been good. It's been a very, very long time. It's good hearing your voice actually like live and everything like that. It's it's good to be back. It's good to hear your voice. What, <laughs> what have you been up to? What's been on your mind? 
well, what I've been up to is basically like surviving and I'm kind of at the end of vacationing now. So, you mm. know, now since the summer's over, you know, back to reality. So mm-hmm. about out of that. So, but uh, what's on my mind today? I mean, it's been so much. I mean, we had the Crystal and Kyle, which you, that's probably should have yeah. been the call. Yeah, you know, that should have been the one. Uh, obviously, what's going on with Israel? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the conversation you had today with them. So I think it's a little bit of both. But I'm going to start with um, just just um, wanting to congratulate. Well, not necessarily congratulate you, but just give you your props on your, um, um, on rising today when you guys had the the little panel discussion about uh, what's going on between Israel and Palestine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually glad that somebody on the left actually like defends the Palestinians because, of course, throughout all through like social media and just on TV, it's like people literally try to pretend like this is just one of those things that just kind of just like spurred up out of the moment. And I know you guys like rise in and then some, uh, a lot of the left platforms have been highlighting some of just the atrocities, but also the conditions that what the Palestinians are under. So obviously, you know, you got into a nice little heated back and forth with the, with homeboy. Uh, I forget, I don't remember his name though, but um, it seems like it Professor was kind of David. Like, yeah. I forget Professor his first David. name. And it seems like when it comes to this, like, topic, especially the people who really defend Israel no matter what, they always fall into this little lane of where they, like, they try to give themselves, like, to try to make themselves seem like they're not completely biased in a situation. So it would be like, oh, what do you mean? I I mean, I criticize um, Israel all the time. Or when they, you know, when the government do something, I do have criticisms. But you can't compare this or you can't say that the conditions that the Palestinians are under is justification for what happened. And and like, I'm kind of glad that you brought it up. It was like, well, what do you expect them to do? You can't, they can't protest peacefully. So obviously, you know, you've seen the videos of them of like literally protesting and then getting shot in their legs and stuff like that. You, they have like no kind of like, um, they have uh, no kind of like, I guess, like promotion or anything or their side of anything, at least more so on Western media and stuff like that. It's just like, and then like I said, you keep them segregated and then into this area to where they're like literally just being like treated like, like third class citizens and stuff like that so you've basically removed any kind of way for them to at least try to fight back and gain some kind of stuff the ultimate next step is violent revolution and unfortunately i mean it's obviously it's sad because you know what happened and with especially obviously what happened with hamas in that day but like it this is kind of what happens when you don't see their children as precious they don't see your children as precious and then it's just a revolving cycle and they're just like endless war and stuff so yeah, I mean, for those people who missed it, honestly, that was the the better of of <laughs> the guests on Rising today. I'm not exactly sure how the selection criteria went down. I mean, in that in that segment, it was at least kind of a two sider with uh, Trita Parsi, who's been on Bad Faith podcast, mm-hmm. um, offering what I would consider to be a more balanced view and a more accurate view. Um, and then this other uh, professor from Johns Hopkins University, who I thought was going to be more of a, um, I don't know how you can characterize it, but you know, a, a more reasonable Zionist, shall we say, um, sort of like Joel Rubin, who's been on this show, who very much supports, you know, well, I'm not going to characterize people, but I was I was surprised. I mean, the, the tipping point for me was when he, um, was talking about the quote barbarism of uh, Palestinians and keeping Israeli kids in cages. Yeah. When of course that imagery was fact checked in the most incredible way and revealed to be 
um, Israelis who had been keeping these Palestinian kids in cages. And when you know that, you notice there was no, oh, my God, that's horrible. There was no, oh, my God, that is bar- barbarism. Barbarism, that word only gets thrown around in one direction. Um, and, you know, it broke down by the end of the interview. And I got to tell you, I was yeah, you bet pretty frustrated. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It seemed like that's kind of what they all do, though. Like, um, it's like when when they when they come across someone who can at least argue the Palestinian side of it to a, a very comparable degree, what they then try to do is they try to lean on the idea of, well, this, you know, they try to like float the ideas of this is just ridiculous or this is anti, you know, lean into the anti-Semitism or how could you defend just terrible things? But then it's like, when it comes to what Israel does to Palestine and then all that, like you don't got, you really don't got nothing to say. And I found it pretty interesting when he brought up the, like the kids in the cages and stuff. And then you kind of highlighted that it was, uh, well, clearly these were Palestinian kids in cages. Didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge it or even try to address it. Or could it just did the, 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 the milk toast every, well, that's bad too. And it's yeah. bad on all sides. He, could, he didn't even try. He was just like, oh, fuck, you got me. All right, well, I'm going to switch off of, well, you know, kids and, you know, and obviously older ladies have been kidnapped and murdered. And then obviously the the, the, the very graphic uh, imagery of like the first, like uh, when it first happened and stuff like that. Yeah. That's all he had to say. So kind of, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it, 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 it is good to just to see Palestinians starting to get defended. And it's nice seeing, because I, I think I saw the poll that everyone was running that, like, the opinions on, like, Israel are starting to change a little bit more now in America. So, I mean, obviously with this, you know, the um, the, the media and everyone, they're already kind of, you know, starting to, like, um, starting to, you know, put their talking points out and everything. But, you know, it's still good to see people on the left, like, defending Israel. So, I mean, I mean, Palestine. So, it was real good. Yeah. It's about to get, I know, it's about to get so wild. I'm not looking forward to this week yeah. at Rising. Oh, you're I, honestly, I'm not, I'm not interested in making people, I mean, there's a real human cost and real human tragedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it is, it is a tragedy. Like, mm-hmm. innocents and civilians and random human beings being killed is horrible. But, like, I, it does feel like, I, I, I'm wrestling with this because, I don't ever want to be someone who is unwilling to acknowledge the real human cost mm-hmm. of, of anything, right? And who would respond with anything less than compassion to anyone who is losing loved ones and members of their own community to violence from whatever direction. But also, I feel a little like... I mean, I know there are people that I think Robbie and I had this discourse once on Rising where, like, if we're talking about the Haitian Revolution, there's always going to be po- someone who pops yep. up and said, oh, but they kill they women. Kill kid- yep. And they like, kill children. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> this is this is this is this is a revolution. And in any other kind of revolutionary context, who was it? I think it's, um, people were passing around that Baldwin quote. Where he says, like, if a white man stands up and says, give me freedom or give me death, we think of that as heroism and bravery. But if anybody else says, give me freedom or give me death, it's 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 terrorism and a painted as a lack of their own respect for their own lives and the lives of their community. We're seeing that in Palestine where people are like, well, Mm -hmm. it's only going to be worse for them. It's only going to end up worse for them. Well, that should be evidence of how terrible the conditions are in the first place. If you're willing to, they know, they know what, what this meant. 
Everyone knows what the consequences of this are going to be. And by the way, there's something incredibly rich. We were doing this at Rising today. The the video that gets played in the background of the horrible destruction mm-hmm. is the video of the apartment in Palestine being bombed. Exactly. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's being put over people describing how horrible the consequences are. It was really, and again, I'm not interested in downplaying the loss of life of Israelis. I'm not interested in doing that. Mm-hmm. But there, there is only so much, many minutes live that you have. And when you know the overwhelming thrust of the sympathies are only going in one direction and that nobody cared about children dying yep. and nobody cares about a population that's 50% under the age of 18 yep. being bombed to smithereens right now. And with that defense minister saying we're going to raise the place and what do you call them? Um, human animals or something like that. A population that's been deeply water insecure, that has trash dumped on them from the top of the sky over that netting. You know, people being told to evacuate and to leave when they're literally in an open air prison. I'm just sorry. Like, I I personally, my voice box is not going to be dedicated to that kind of both sides. But it does feel like it's just a very delicate line to walk. I hate it. I hate it and i'm not looking forward to going to work for the rest of the week (laughs) but also dr professor david or whatever the fuck is not i'm sorry excuse me no it's not it's not i'm not the one you're not going to get up on my face and start talking about that and we haven't even gotten into that random lady from baltimore that they decided to interview today oh yeah yes it was random as hell and it was like um the same thing it's like oh well the palestinians have had multiple times it's like why are you putting this on the palestinian people like like let's like talk out your scenario you guys say um you guys say obviously um that the palestinians voted hamas in it's not like the average citizen can just walk around and like form some kind of like uh, armed defense against them so let's just say hypothetically the palestinian people like you know what we don't hamas we don't want you um representing us no more Hamas has all the weapons and everything. And you just like, you have no, like no interest into the people. And it's, you can kindly see like the real disregard for Palestinian life and how much of a, I don't careism or of a laissez faire, whatever, or, um, just like, um, yeah, just like a, yeah, that's bad. But that kind of stuff, as opposed to the, like the actual, like grieving pain you feel for these Israelis who, re- who just got killed for no fucking reason. And it's like, you can just see it and sense it. And it's just nasty. It's just nasty work, man. Yeah, uh, I'm not, you know, I really, I hope we get some more guests that are much better on this topic than I am. Obviously, we don't get to have Katie anymore, which is very regrettable. Yeah, call Katie, but yeah. Um, But she, everyone should go listen to her and Aaron did a really great Monday morning. You know, they do their Monday morning recaps of the Sunday shows on Mondays uh, on Useful Idiots YouTube. And it was very, it was particularly good today. Um, Yeah. I, I hope we get, I don't know, Max or... Aaron or somebody uh, on uh, who can offer some counterbalance to this random woman from Baltimore. Yeah, from Baltimore City. (laughs) Who, for some reason, the Hill wanted to have on to talk about what an on the ground experience was of being in Israel while all this is happening. Uh huh. Yeah, it's um that reminds me of uh that uh the, uh the Dave Chappelle uh Ja Rule thing when 9-11 happened. Like, who the fuck is with like this random ass lady from Baltimore City? She's in the fucking she's probably in like Fells Point in like the whitest part area talking about like like what she knows and everything. Oh, I visited like a couple times. Oh, well, okay, no, she great. lives there. She oh, okay. I, I believe she's a citizen. But that is oh. I'm sorry. Also mm-hmm. pointing to the absurdity of this mm-hmm. or this woman with her Baltimore ass <laughs> accent voice. You know, American-ass voice 
is sitting there talking about how horrible it is that she, that somebody doesn't want her living on their effing land. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> of all the, the people optical. to get the example, there of course are there of course are Jewish populations that have been in the area since forever as well. She mm-hmm. ain't one of them. Exactly. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine someone interviewing me? I don't. I can't even think of the scenario. I can't even imagine the scenario. I moved to China. Mm-hmm. And then someone comes knocking on my door talking about, I mean, like, I don't want to get too absurd about it. I'm just, mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't. And the, and Disney, cause I wasn't, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. I can't, let me not, let me just stop. Okay. Just all right. Stop. All right. Well, I did have one more question and this is more so like, what's going to happen? Do you have uh, any idea, any updates of what you're going to do as far as calling going? Um, do you have, have you found anything or maybe other thing? Or These people from, what's the people who bought, bought calling again? I always forget the name of the app. I'm so terrible. Mm-hmm. It's got a video component. Um, no, it's not Rumble. It's it's uh, uh-huh. yeah. It's not. It sounds like Yahoo, but it's not Yahoo. I'm being so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll find it because they emailed me, and I just have been so negligent in getting back to them. But they really want me to go over there, and my hesitation has been. Um, I think this woman's name was Rum Ari or Ori. If I Google Ari in my thing, will it come up? No, was it Ori? Mm-hmm. Locals, locals, locals. Locals. It's locals. Okay. They want me to roll it over into locals. But the problem is, locals is a paid. It's like a subscription app, mm. and I have some hesitation about doing another subscription thing. Got you. As opposed to just being like, "Fine, screw it. We'll just log on to YouTube." But mm-hmm. Rumble is. I'm sorry, Rumble. Uh. What is this called again? Colin isn't YouTube. The beauty of it is that I can be sitting here having peeled my eyelashes off my face from this morning in my pajamas and talk to you about having to set up the cameras in the middle of my kitchen and turning my apartment into a mess. Mm-hmm. And that's why I liked this format. It was just such a lower lift not having to be on camera. And Locals is on camera and it is also oh. subscription. And it's like, well, if I'm going to be on camera, I might as well just, and I, and I don't want to make people pay for more things. I might as well just hop on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason I don't do YouTube. And also eventually they're going to shut down the, the call in app period. Yeah. So I won't even be able to use it as a way to get you guys to call in to a YouTube show. So I'm going to have to find some other different mechanism to mm-hmm. hear you guys, which is frustrating in and of itself. Yeah. Okay. But if, you do, if any of you have thoughts, feelings, ideas, or suggestions, if you say, okay, fine, go ahead and do locals. One other thing that they were suggesting is that you can start a locals feed that's free and then switch it over, like, this is part two, and that becomes subscription. So there's a world, I think, where maybe I could I could do that. But, again, locals is not going to have this call-in functionality. I think it's more like a live chat like YouTube. Uh, and yeah. not, not, I can't hear your guys' voice. Yeah, yeah. I saw someone say Twitter Spaces, but uh, I mean, Twitter I could spaces, do Twitter Spaces. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a good idea. And I do wonder. I I think I can use Twitter Spaces to like filter through to a a YouTube chat if we did want to yeah. occasionally still do that. So actually, that's a very good idea. Okay. Well, yeah, that that'll be good. But uh, yeah, that's all I had. Uh, that's what I definitely want to uh, say. Appreciate you calling in and everything. I appreciate hearing from you, Chris. It's been too long. Mm-hmm. All right, heed the faith, my friend. See ya. All right, I mean, you guys know I'm going to our friend Chicago Red. 
<laughs> yo, yo, what's the word, everybody? What's the word, Bree? How are you doing? And congratulations <laughs> on your new little baby. Oh, thank you. It is so good to hear your voice. Give us, give us all the update. What's been going on? Look, I just got a question. Like, is societal collapse about to get ready to happen? And if so, <laughs> can I just drop out of school now? Because I'm kind of sick of all this shit. It's like I'm um, burnt out already, and it's only been a year. I mean, honestly, I was looking at I – was, I was out of town this weekend at a wedding, and I was really trying hard not to look at my phone because it kept being the case that we were all sitting around, and it would go quiet, and I would look up, and everyone was just on their phone staring with saucer eyes. And it does feel like between events in the Middle East, between the uh, labor uprisings here, there, and everywhere, it, it does have, there is like a vibe. It's not just fall feeling outside, it's feeling like the fall. <laughs> it feels like a shift. I don't, and I was like talking to my baby mama about this earlier. It's like a shift that's like coming to like all over the damn world. Yep. Yeah. And then the like electoral... I got the opposite mm-hmm. problem. I feel like I haven't been picking up my phone enough or like keeping up enough. I don't know how hard that's gonna get between like school and now with this baby. It's just like Oh man. I haven't been able to keep up with like anything that's been going on with like twenty twenty four and the election, Cornell West. I, I it's I kinda got a lot that I need to like catch up on myself. Honestly, I'm I'm struggling with it as well. I mean, it does feel like things are moving very quickly, that news becomes obsolete almost immediately. I, I cannot believe that we're about to have a whole other cycle about what it means for Cornell West to no longer be with the Green Party after we just spent like what feels like months talking about what it meant for him to announce with MPP and then shift to Green. And I don't have strong feelings about it. I mean, I know that some people are of the view that this is an equivalent to taking like a political dive um, that because it's less likely it'll be more of a lift for him to get on the ballot, not affiliated with the green party that yeah. he's less likely to p- present a real challenge to Joe Biden. And this is a way of, for him to basically be stepping to the side and not jeopardizing his chances against Trump without literally saying, I'm going to drop out because he's already committed to not dropping out. I'm, I don't, I'm not saying I believe in that, but I, I have to acknowledge that that theory is out there. I know Sabby did a good interview with him over the weekend, and I've listened to a part of that. Um, I don't. I don't even know. There are people who still very strongly feel that Joe Biden is not going to be the candidate. I see Gavin Newsom doing something cruel and evil that's new every other day, which suggests to me uh, that he's running. <laughs> uh, hey, it wouldn't be an election cycle without like the dismal feelings of where the hell are we as the left supposed to go now would it yeah kind of like the only consistent thing we kind of got going on in our politics right now so i mean i yeah i don't know i felt like i didn't want i don't know why he left the green part i get it. it was more so of him wanting to be himself he's doing his own thing but that ballot access kind of did would have made like it would have made like a significant difference but I mean, it's just, hey, it's just too hard for me to get that invested within like anybody at this damn point. So I'm just like, hey, you know what, man? Do what you do. If I see your name on there, I see it on there. If I don't, <laughs> I'll write it in. I know I, I don't care at 
this right now, honestly, it's just like y'all know what if we finna get ready and do uh if we finna get ready and do Trump twenty twenty four electric boogaloos, somebody let me know. <laughs> so I can go ahead with all my fucking life. I can just go ahead and apologize to my son right now and be like, Hey look, I tried to get you here without the Oompa Loompa running the country, but <laughs> You know, shit happens. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I really, I really do empathize with, you know, people like Eugene said this a little bit on today's episode. Sabi's been saying this for a long time. The people who are kind of completely checked out or disinterested in electoral politics outside of the local realm, it does feel like there's a lot that can be done within one's own state politics and on a community level, obviously. And I, People like Rome and others who are focused so heavily on mutual aid. I mean, I think thinking about that stuff makes me feel hopeful. Looking at the labor activity makes me feel hopeful for sure. And even sometimes in my more cynical moments, I think, well, the complete mess that everybody is making of everything on a federal political level is hopeful insofar as that it's exposing a lot of the vulnerabilities that we've been talking about for a long time and maybe will make folks more inclined to join our kind of um, outside of the duopoly camp, right? I mean, look at what's going on with this Matt Gates stuff. I effing love that. <laughs> it, it comes as no surprise to you guys that I have absolutely enjoyed em- enormously watching uh, them do that force the vote moment and seeing him. It seems he seems to be tacitly agreeing to these five agenda points that Rokana brought up, including which include. Um, barring insider trading. Uh, and that, you know, the fact that he is now standing, you know, last week he was standing on the House floor talking about how corrupt Congress was, and he got booed by Congress for saying an obvious truth about them being corrupt. You know, the American people sees that. And, you know, taking a stand against unlimited aid in Ukraine, I mean, like, I'll take, I'll take the W. And I'll take how he's exposing that, although the right has been getting all this credit for being the real anti-war party. He's a solo voice on that side of the aisle as well. There are very few people who are actually invested in that. Um, even people who claim to be anti-war, like um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, we, we heard what she had to say on Rising. She doesn't want to cut the military budget by a cent. So, you know, I, I, I root, I'm root, <laughs> this is so weird. This is like a weird topsy trippy world we're in, but I'm rooting for Matt Gates. <laughs> And so that that stuff does does make me feel sort of optimistic. I don't know how are you, I mean. I was gonna say I didn't know if you saw the message. I was like, man, she's having a victory lap moment right now. As soon as I saw a dude got voted out of the uh, speaker. Let it's me a tell you, victory lap. But hey, I'll, I'll take it. Look, I would rather not have a victory lap, right? I would rather the progressives just do the right thing. But here we are. Hey. That's the only thing we got consistently going on around our politics. And in all honesty, the right's probably about to get ready and start exposing themselves right now with all this Israel bullshit. <laughs> hey, and I'm just going to say right now, y'all, if I see that video of that 10-year-old girl, that Palestinian girl, one more time, I'm just going to say, fuck it. Where the fuck is Kanye when you need him? Wait, I don't... So I don't have cable news. So I confess that I, I don't even know... Which, well, maybe I, I don't want to make you get into it if you don't want to get into it. Nah, I'll, nah, I'll look nah. it up myself. Um, I don't know. This might be, a, no, this is like an older video. Because, you know, everybody is, like, spreading different videos of, like, oh, this is on the ground in uh, Israel or on the ground in Gaza and shit right now. But this video i kind of been seeing for a minute. It was, like, 
of this 10 year old girl, Palestinian girl. She's like standing in front of a rubble and she's just like, what, what the fuck do y'all expect me to do about this? I'm 10. What the hell are they bombing us for? What are they doing? Yeah. Every day I'm waking up crying. I'm scared. I'm looking up and I'm like, I'm 10. What do you want me to do? I got to find it and I'll send it to you. But it's just like, I remember seeing that first like a while back and it was just, whoa. And it's just kind of weird. Like, because when I when I started voting, my first time I was able to vote, I was able to vote for Obama in like 2012. And then it was kind of weird that I felt bad about that vote after hearing the uh, Lupe Fiasco song. Um, what's the name of that song? It was something he was like, Gaza Strip getting bombed, Obama ain't say shit. That's why I ain't vote mm. for him or the next motherfucking leader. I think it was called Something I Never Said, Last Words I Said, and the words I never said, something like that. And uh, then that's kind of where, like, I started to get real critical and, like, give a critical eye towards, like, the Democratic Party. Because, I mean, I got, like, oh, yeah. Muslim family members, mm-hmm. some NOI, some, like, more, I don't want to say, like, maybe more Orthodox or, like, the more real Muslims. But <laughs> I guess y'all get the- <laughs> No, I got you. That was my grandfather, too. Only thing he didn't do was eat pork. <laughs> that's the only. That's the only really uh, compliant thing that he did as a Muslim was not eat pork, but he was certainly <laughs> drinking plenty of alcohol and doing every other kind of thing. So, <laughs> right. So my whole. So I mean, my whole thing with that is just like I'm seeing like everybody's taking that take, and I guess it's just another small victory that we can take. Like everybody can't just go out here and say like, "Oh, we're pro Israel this" without getting like cussed out and backlashed and like turned out i have seen so many tweets and deletes and posts and deletes from people about this whole mess yeah it's just all of this to just say bro we we kind of need like a third part we all if there's any more reason for a proof for that we need a third party out here it's just like i really don't see no other solution neither one of these duopoly parties got our backs yeah i'm seeing right now that uh Tulsi Gabbard, whose claim to fame is being the anti-imperialist vanguard here in American politics, uh, tweeted out that the United States must stand with Israel in the face of this terror attack by the Islamist terrorist group Hamas. This is just the latest example of the greater war being waged by both Sunni and Shia Islamist jihadists throughout the world. It should be a wake-up call to leaders everywhere that Islamist jihadists are the greatest short- and long-term threat to the safety, security, and freedom of the American people and people throughout the world. You know, shout-out to Kim Iverson, who did a tweet calling out um, people who were very anti-war on Ukraine and seem to be very pro-funding when it comes to Israel uh asking for names and for people to come up with a list of people who have completely inconsistent beliefs on those things. And some of her own audience is mad at her for pointing that out, but props to her for at least being very consistent on this. Unlike, um, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Unlike a lot of moms and caught. And I mean, it's everybody having like a little shift right now. She was going on a tangent about, um, I think it was RFK because of all this shit, but then it's just like, I don't get why everybody's acting shocked about that. He kind of, Ben came out and said that about himself and his stance for Israel and everything. So it's just kind of like, okay, look, how about 
y'all finally just go ahead and admit to yourselves. Stop bullshitting yourselves. And just say it. Both sides suck. So anything goes at this point. And if we get another four years of fucking Trump, everybody either needs... I don't. I personally don't want to do anything else with the Dems no more. We all just need to regroup and do something else. And I mean, I kind of have. I mean, not to be down and bloomy. I got some optimistic views too. Like, uh, cause I would watch some of uh, I'm in freaking school. I'm in business school now, so I'm freaking trying to like find somebody. Oh, to, like, look at you! <laughs> I have to. I have to find like business people that I actually care about listening to. And I'm just like, ugh, I don't want to hear no more of this. Oh, unions are bad. These strikes are bad. It's just like, so it's like Richard Wolf and Chris Hedges, they are like godsend. And then like a whole workers strike back thing. I'm pretty much like causing a whole lot of problems for like a lot of economic professors right now. Ooh, I love that for you. Well, then don't drop out, my friend. I mean, obviously do. (laughs) Live your life. You got a lot on your plate, but I I love to hear that. We certainly need, I mean, good people. The problem is, I mean, look, I'm of the belief that the world is what it is, and it is incredibly empowering to go to law school and business school and understand how the world works so you can fight against it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of good people stay far away, which is good if they're doing other kinds of more useful work. But I do think there is value to really understanding. I mean, the most radicalizing experience in my life was going to law school. So. You know, that's best, like, best of luck to you. Yeah. And I mean, that's my kind of thing, too. And it's just kind of like bad now because now non for profits are kind of like getting a bad rep because everybody's non for profits is getting exposed. I'm like, damn, y'all just going to fuck everything up for me before I get a chance to, like, <laughs> get a foot in the ground. Because I feel like Richard Wolf and Chris had to feel like I'm kind of like agreeing with them. I feel like one way a third party can, like, one way that a third party can get going and off the ground is if it's like a party of, like, worker co ops that, like, Forming bills, so I want to like build like I don't know some type of funding or some type of like lending, uh, some type of like lending. I don't want to say like a hedge fund company or something, but basically somebody that like help get worker co-ops from the like worker co-ops from the ground, like build teams. Let's get all of these individual people with their skills and just get them together and form like a workers co-op in like whatever field that it is so if you guys are specialized in restaurants okay what's y'all restaurant special okay we got to specialize y'all in this okay you guys work on this section you guys come together and resource bring everything together everybody split it up and divvy it up to this point and it'll not only give like backing political backing for workers but it'll also give like financing towards like an actual third party effort to like actually get some real organization to get like some real organizing get some structure get some consistency and it's just like it's it'll be truly ran by people it's a very big and sparse idea but hey somebody get no i look hold on before i just say fuck it let me just go ahead and bounce about this country yeah look the issue of how to ethically fundraise and and manage money for the left is a really important one we've seen that with the fallout of the black lives matter stuff I mean, there's still $60 million or whatever sitting in a bank somewhere that nobody knows what to do with. Um, and I do think that kind of institutional knowledge is, is really necessary. So um, good, good luck with everything, Red, truly. And I hope it, it's not so long before we all hear from you again. And congratulations again. Hey, thanks. I appreciate it. And I do try to check in. I do try to check in every now and then with um, you and everything that you're doing. Um, I'm still kind of YouTube banding it out, but 
once we get him, once we get like little ones settled in and everything, and I feel like my school load is probably going to slow down. I'm probably not going to have to take as many classes as I'm currently taking right now, then for sure. But like you were just talking about it, like with Colin earlier, I'm pretty sure that's going to be like a whole discussion throughout the whole night. So I'm definitely going to sit back and listen to see like what's going to be the updates, what's the new plans, where's the new move, y'all. Anybody that's following me, y'all keep me in the loop and let me know because <laughs> Bree can't answer all of my DMs. <laughs> I can I, I can answer as many of them as I see though, and so I, I'm always happy to hear from you, Red. All right, take all right. care, okay, and hope 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 to hear from you soon. No doubt, keep the faith, my sister. All right, keep the faith. All right, Eric, how are you doing, Eric? I'm doing good. Just trying to make it through these. Uh... Uh, the sad strike. I'm happy that the writer <laughs> strike is finally over. Yes, right. You work in the industry. How has it been for you? I mean, uh, I'm pretty good at saving. And I had a whispers about this maybe coming down the pipe. So mm-hmm. I've been very good at saving my money. And this is also a good, like, I have a good, like, I guess, personal story with the fact that because New Jersey and New York was able to pass that law that if you are a part of a group who are striking, you can still get unemployment. Mm-hmm. So that has definitely helped me significantly between like different jobs because I've been able to connect with some of my friends who work more non-union and been able to get work through there. And then the times where I'm not working and the weeks I'm not working, I could just dip into unemployment. So the fact that Gavin Newsom vetoed that bill Jess, if that doesn't show you who Gavin Newsom is as a politician, I don't know what else will. And what kills me is that a lot of shows, and these are shows, these are people who I I, I like, have, you know, rightfully came after Gavin Newsom for those, I know he vetoed the one with the, um, the striking and unemployment. He vetoed the one about AI truck driving. And I think he just vetoed the um, lowering pres- the insulin, I believe, prescription yep. drug price. Yep. Um, and what kills me is that I'm I'm telling you right now, Gavin. If Gavin Newsom doesn't run in 2024, he is running in 2028. And every single person who just claimed and then, you know, um, rightfully so, criticizing for those vetoes are going to tell us to vote if you're a Democrat. Going to tell all Democrats to vote for Gavin Newsom in 2028 because he's probably going to be maybe one of the leading candidates in that. I, I'm just, you know, prop, you know, prophesizing right now. Yeah. And what, what kills me about that is, it's just, again, this feeding into that same circle, that same cyclic circle, because I thought, because everyone, because at the same time, one of the things they're talking about Biden is the fact that, you know, all of his uh, positive and I put positive in like quotation mark influence on the um, the labor and him not being as anti labor as he was in the Senate and the uh, uh, positive that had come out of that with his NLRB. Uh, Eric, and you're going that me, a little just, bit. I, I just see the content. Yeah, sorry, you just popped, you just faded up a little bit, but I think you're good now. Uh, I just see the contradiction coming. I can see what they're going to be saying about Gavin Newsom come 2028 and how, because like it's always like you said, 
like I see Gavin Newsom in 28, 2028, and I see Ron DeSantis again in 2028. There's always going to be this horrible Republican who's going to do horrible things. So we can't then vote for, then we can't then have, you know, any third party or any independent candidate who re- better represents our ideals and vote for them because that may. Eric? You said because that makes, and then you fade it off. Okay. I, I'm not sure what's going on, Eric, but I, I completely agree. I completely take your point. And this is why I'm sorry. Like, I know that a lot of these things get framed as a debate. Like, oh, I debated Crystal and Kyle. But for me, I feel like I've just been asking the same question that logic forces me to ask which is when does it end? It's the same question I put to um, Chomsky. And it's not like a gotcha. I, I, like if someone has a good answer and says, well, no, this is what distinguishes this election year from the others. And I'm totally with you four years from now when you want to burn it all down and, and vote third party and say the Democratic Party is on its own. Well, then I'd be open to that. But no one ever says that. No one ever has an end date. People will acknowledge that people like a Ron DeSantis or whomever isn't meaningfully different than a Donald Trump and then proceed to tell us that we're going to have to vote blue no matter who as long as someone like a Ron DeSantis comes along. And I think we can all see it playing out. And that's why I think there's a lot of hope being foisted upon or directed toward the Cornell West campaign, but also a lot of frustration when it seems it might not necessarily always be rising to the level that we've come to expect from the relatively successful two Bernie runs. I'm just talking, you know, structurally and in terms of how much attention and votes they got. I don't mean obviously in terms of how they ended up. Um, And that's just a very frustrating place to be in because it does seem like right now is the historical moment. We've talked about this on rising, but there have been a number of polls which suggest that a generic independent in the general election immediately starts off at, I think, 19% which I think is where Ross Perot ended up. And, you know, that it feels like a really enormous opportunity for a left candidate. And maybe that is an independent candidate. And that is why I think perhaps it makes sense for Cornell West to disassociate from the Green Party because a generic independent does so much better than a generic libertarian or generic green, especially with RFK Jr. in the race. And I hope to talk more about whether or not he's being informed by those kinds of polls. But, um, it does feel like an enormous opportunity, which is why I think there's so much anxiety around every decision that uh, Cornell, uh, sorry, Cornell West makes. But um, it looks like we lost. Um, it looks like we lost you. So I'm going to go ahead and I got to pull neoliberal up because he's really he's really been an all star uh, over the course of the weekend. Neoliberal tears. Talk to me. You you are my Sherpa through the wilderness of Gaza coverage and I want to hear from you I want to hear what you think I want to hear what, what you think I should be listening to I was I was thinking to myself after today's show all of the things that I wish I had said and all the things I need to read up on better if we're going to be talking about this stuff all week so speak to me neoliberal tears ah uh, you've been amazing today oh my gosh my Sherpa um <laughs> My, my Simchatora. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
Really? Like, I mean, I know you said you're not really looking forward to rising this week. So I was trying to think, how do I reframe this for her? So she's excited to go to work because we need you. We need you. We needed you in front of that fuck ass professor who tried to steal the last word from you. And I, I mean, when I tell you I got goosebumps when you were like, absolutely not, not on my watch. I mean, you just got, you just got better like you just got you just got scathier and scathier about how he was ignoring that five million people for 75 years have lived in an open-air prison and that's context okay so yeah. we need you Brie. you're doing amazing I don't think so about all the things you should have said i can actually when i watched it back i was surprised i seemed as calm as i was because i was trembling with rage in my seat <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing when I woke up today, like my, in my friends and my DM groups, um, who we love rising, of course. So we, it's the first thing they sent me. They were like, Oh my God, she ate him up. <laughs> um, so thank you. Thank you. Like really, um, obviously I've been glued to the news and, uh, just watching everything, uh, like everybody else. And, you know, so, um, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that we have rising to, to cover this. Um, and if you, uh, you know, I'm just a DM away. If you need, uh, con I, I know people in B'Tselem and, uh, which is a human rights organization and breaking the silence. If you want to have these people on, although, um, when you're booking people, I do want to also reframe this one for you. Um, when you're booking people, book someone from Maryland who like settled into <laughs> Israel last year and has a perfect American accent, which even I do not have. I think it's great comedic value for, I mean, I needed, I needed that. I needed that comedic break. I mean, it was, that was great. Cause so we, had, so we filmed that one right after the interview with the professor and the interview with the, prof the, the professor went long for obvious reasons. And so they were really rushing us into the next segment. And so I didn't really realize what this was until we started doing the intro. And in my head, I'm like, wait, we're really just talking to this random Settler, like, there's no news value to this. Like, we're just randomly talking to this random woman. It's not someone, even, even I would understand someone who, who's maybe has been personally affected by the fighting, who lost a loved one, whose home was destroyed, who like suffered in some ways. Like, okay, let's do a portrait of human suffering. That's reasonable. But, but just a but random woman. Was, <laughs> but that's why it was perfect. If you look at the comments, I think the ones that I love the most um, were saying, you know, all of these things this woman was trying to say, I've heard from Palestinian women for decades. Right. Regular people. And that's our rising audience, Brie. We are, you're making a, I said we, you're making a difference. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's our show. It's not a right wing show. Um, oh, well, I know. It depends on the issue, but I will say I, I'm feeling solidarity uh, on this one today. I mean, so the, the thing was, I, I felt a little like I was still rattled and a little I was I was concerned that I had done too much with the last guy. And so I was like, OK, I'm really not trying to jump into another interview where I shout somebody down. But also, like, increasingly, as I was talking, I was like, really, this is what this interview is. It's just her evoking her three children for some reason over and over again. But I have three children. What is with all these guests who think that they can just say, I have three children to you. And that is, is some kind of an argument. I just don't understand it. I, I'm sorry, Bethany Mendel. I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. But I, I, I in retrospect, like, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
neoliberal are you still here neoliberal tears oh you muted yourself yeah sorry i was just thinking uh, when you said bethany i had to throw out there an icon because that was also like you couldn't have planned it to go viral right like yeah bethany was a gift to the discourse for all of us (laughs) I mean, she tanked Ron DeSantis' campaign. If I had anybody that had on the Ron DeSantis campaign, I would get, I would be setting my sights on Bethany um, because she really killed it. I mean, and the, and that's why I think when those booking mishaps, don't blame it on the show. The show is your friend. The show is you. Um, it's it's an opportunity. Also, you can express you. Uh, you can I guess you can't really say much, but you can practice your facial expressions. You know, like <laughs> really this bitch. You know, because you're speaking to me. You're speaking to all of us, and you're speaking to the issue of what the fuck is this person having more rights than someone who was born in Palestine, whose it's parents so were born in Palestine. And no, I, I felt like honestly, there are people who will be very mad at me for saying that. I, but I don't like it feels like the gas the gaslighting on this issue is just so out of control. I was sitting there I'm going to listen to her talk for like 5 or 6 minutes before I was finally like where are you from? <laughs> you know like I I tried to google it first while she was answering questions cuz I didn't want to like, you know, what do they tell you as a lawyer don't ask a question uh on a of a hostile witness that you don't already know the answer to. So I was trying to google around and there was nothing about you know, when she relocated at all on the internet. So I asked her and she did, you know, in her, I guess, defense, she's been living there for 20 years, she says, but like, it's just an, I'm sorry. It's an insane thing. Like if if I were trying to do like pro seller propaganda, I just simply would not choose somebody who sounds like she lives 20 miles away from me in DC. And that's useful to us i mean it really is like to point how to point that out the ridiculousness and i mean the rate your rage is valid because people like her make it make my family less safe that's that's the issue they have been like the zionist project makes jews less safe yeah and um you know and i'm also thankful that you guys were able to show that clip from the CNN interview um, mm-hmm. uh, with that Palestinian legislator. If mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's the one that went viral. You could hear in his voice how desperate, um, you know, and scared people are, you know. And why, why, why is why is every politician right now pretending like bombing civilian era, areas is like a justified retaliatory response? Uh, to a crisis, you know, like leveling out Gaza. I mean, there are people on Twitter literally calling out to level out Gaza, like Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley can't wait. Yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley's been a viper. How is that allowed? How is that not hate speech? Yeah, so we the... need someone to ask that question. Look yeah. at the camera and ask that question every fucking day. The... Not being equipped as a journalist, and I've been thinking about this myself, like the other kinds of things, the the facts and figures that I need to have at my disposal. But the reality of a population being 50% under the age of 18, 50% children, I think the mean age is like 14. And you're talking about, one, leveling buildings. The, the, the irony of the clip that keeps getting replayed being the one of Israeli bombs knocking down a civilian apartment complex in Gaza. 
the instruction to flee, to evacuate, when you know people are in a extremely densely populated small area with that is a impenetrable border that is policed and controlled by Israel. And then to be talking about what I'm looking at a Marco Rubio tweet that happens to just be on my timeline right now as I'm sitting here. He says, Israel has no choice but to seek the complete eradication of Hamas and Gaza. There is simply no diplomatic solution or measured response available. This, uh, you know, a complete eradication means bombing. And people have said this in not so many words. Raising a densely populated civilian area that's disproportionately children. And I just, I don't know. It Again, I've, I said this when I, we had Omar Badar on last time. It's like, even if, even if you're trying to do a, a like a pro-seller propaganda, like even if you're like pro, like whatever, Zionist propaganda, I, I, I would think you would want to be able to maintain some sense of a moral high ground and not just show your whole entire ass the way people are doing on Twitter right now, calling calling the other side barbar- barbarians at the same time that you're saying you want to raise an entire civilian population because they asked for it. The they being a group of people oh, who hasn't had the-, the right to have free elections and a real democracy or even recognition of the people who are wanting to bomb them as a state. Right, right. And, you know, Hamas offered um, in 2007 or 2008 uh, to, uh, to, for a long-lasting truce with Israel in exchange for having sovereignty over Gaza itself as a single state. You know, they would have just taken, you know, control over the water, the electricity and stuff like that. Israel just flat out refused. Um, so, uh, y- yeah, uh, th- there's... Yeah, uh, tell, me, tell me more about that, because I heard Aaron Mate. This is one of the things that I wish I knew more about when I was talking this morning. I heard Aaron Mate say on Useful Idiots this morning that there was, I think, a 2002 deal. Because one of the things that people say, one of the things that the uh, that professor said was... Well, if they wanted a state, like if they wanted a two-state solution, it's their fault that it's not. It's Palestinians' fault that they can't get one because they rejected whatever deal in whatever year. And Aaron pushed back this morning on Useful Idiots, and he said that there was some 2002 deal that Hamas had agreed to that would have established a Palestinian state and that it was Israel who would not agree to it. And then a bunch of Arab nations had also agreed to this compromise. So what what is the deal there with respect to because the the onus of who is responsible for Palestinians living in these conditions is what it's like the new it feels like the new edge of the argument for justifying any atrocities against them going forward. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, neoliberal tears has nothing to add. My girl has all the facts and figures. That's exactly what happened. They had the single state solution that other Arab countries were even agreeing to, and Hamas was willing to make that concession. Israel refused. And that was in uh, the, the, the uh, I remember them saying that in an interview in 2009 or, so, you mm. know, around that range. But there were multiple deals. Also, Trump, I mean, let's bring the clown into this. Like, mm. he tried to, you know, for PR purposes, um, he, you know, sent Kushner over there, tried to, like, do something, you know, um, like, work something <laughs> out, right? And Trump, like, they offered BB, like, the most Israel, like, APAC would have, like, you know, like, ra- running circles over themselves. 
and J Street. It would have brought them together. Um, that they can, he can annex 90% of the West Bank. Like he can have everything, but it would have, you know, but there would have been a second, like a Palestinian state rejected it flat out, BB. Like, you know, and, and it led Trump to sort of tell, um, Barack David, who's like a reporter at Axios. And he told him, told, he wanted to tell that to him on the record. BB doesn't want peace. Like he's not interested in that. He never has. Mm. And what you said about barbarism, um, you know, it just, that word really like angers me more than anything because Edward Said wrote about this, like, mm-hmm. you know, in Orientalism and the other and otherizing and how that, you know, using the framing of barbar- bar- barbaric people against civilized people, like, you know, like using that false dichotomy to paint people as less than human, um, as worthy of death. Yeah. And, his entire life legacy, his entire identity was wrapped up in trying to come to terms with that. And, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to push back against that. Um, so I really just wanted to say to anybody out there who is asking you, but what's the solution? You know, if anybody is looking for a 10 second pitch, it's the one state solution. It's equal rights for all. It's, it, it's been for decades. You know, when Edward Said wrote about it, Bibi was still in power. Because, because LOL democracy, right? Israel, that is. I mean, that leader has been there forever. Yeah, um, but the, I mean, that's the thing, though, right? There's not. They describe, you know, the, the right. At least the, I don't mean just do vague days. The right, you know, the right wing Israeli government describes the like, full equal admission of Palestinians into a one state as a demographic a demographic threat and what they're doing is violent demographic engineering by yeah. bombing gaza indiscriminately that that's that's what's happening as you said they're children is there is there a military like i i'm i'm really trying i'm having a hard time understanding the military asset value of just bombing places indiscriminately um there's no I, I, it doesn't feel targeted when a million people are under 18 so if we're talking about violent demographic engineering, we need to push back on that framing and say that equal rights for all. I mean, because the, the follow up question is, and I, and I get that from like liberals like Ross Barkon, who I'm, you know, because I, I mean, it's unbelievable to me that I'm having a harder time convincing Americans of the one state solution than Israelis, because they're the ones, I guess, that live under threat. They understand that giving rights to Palestinians is, if that makes them say, I would make them yeah. Maybe yeah. that's it. I, who was I think it was um, Nathan Robinson has been surfacing um, a lot of uh, let me pull it up um, great clips from Israeli newspapers and he's been making the point that the points that are being made there are so much more left I don't know for lack of a better word to say but the kind of things that left to say here that get you um, pilloried and accused of being anti-Semitic or indifferent to the value of Israeli lives are like the the the, the broad free discourse that's happening within Israel without any of that same kind of a pushback. Yeah, here he is. He says, um, editorial board of Haaretz, sorry, I'm pronouncing that wrongly. Israel's leading newspaper says Netanyahu himself is squarely responsible for the disaster, having ignored the potential consequences of escalating aggression toward Palestinians. And the quote from the newspaper is, 
The disaster that befell Israel on the holiday of Simchat Torah is the clear responsibility of one person, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, who has prided himself on his vast political experience and irreplaceable wisdom in security matters, completely failed to identify the dangers he was consciously leading Israel into in establishing a government of annexation and dispossession when appointing Bezel Smotrich, sorry, and Itamar bin Gavir to key positions while embracing a foreign policy that openly ignored the existence and rights of Palestinians. I mean, you can say that in an Israeli newspaper, but you can't even really say that on a podcast in America. (laughs) Well, you can, and that's why we have Rising. (laughs) Well, look, I appreciate you. So much. I've been appreciating, you know, your tweets and your insights a lot. And if you guys don't already follow Neoliberal Tears, you absolutely should um, remedy that right now. Before I uh, let you go, can I give you um, two guest recommendations? Please, please. I love that. Here, let me get mine. Let me write this down. Okay. Shoot. (laughs) Dang, she's serious, guys. Um, We, uh, so we have Mohammed Al-Khord. He writes for The Nation um, and he's based um, in East Jerusalem. I'm sure you Can know. Can you spell him. his last name? Sure. Uh, uh, E-L-K-U-R-D. Okay. The nation. Uh, yeah. First name, Mohammed. Um, the other one, uh, I think, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen him on the, on Katie's show, but Miko Peled. Um, I think he would be able to, uh, to, to offer some insight from an Israeli that's not um, originally from Baltimore. Uh, <laughs> The audacity! <laughs> Sorry, that, that just really tripped me can out. Can you imagine being? Can you imagine? I, I, I'm not trying to make this all about me, but can you imagine being me and listening to that statement? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I cannot. That was unbelievable. I mean, I cannot. Like, I wanted to be like, baby girl, just come home. Like, <laughs> this is this is not your fight. Just waiting for you, like you know, you know, like I can interview in person when you come home. <laughs> We can have you right here in the rising studio. Like this is not this this is like stolen valor or something. I don't even know what this is. Whew. Okay. So yes. I'm going to reach out to Nico Pellet and Mohammed El Kurd. And I appreciate that. I appreciate those uh, recommendations. Love you, girl. You're doing amazing. And thank you for having me. Liberal Tears. Thank you so much. All right. Lysol, how you <laughs> How have you been? Doing pretty good. It's first of all, is it super fucking loud behind me right now? Uh, a little bit. What are you up to? Um, I'm walking home, and I did. I did. I make a choice between trying to get through the hills and losing connection halfway through a phone call, or walking by a freeway. So I'm trying the freeway route right now. That's okay. You're legible. We can handle it. What's on your mind? Um, so first of all, w- without I mean, fuck it. I am the coping guy. I saw your reaction to the sterile the sterile wave thing. The, the thing that the, the, people, mm-hmm. the people in KISS were doing, I think everybody could use a COVID-19 update. I think that's right. In fact, when I saw, um, you know, we've had, um, oh, my God, why am I blocking her name? The original poster there uh, on the show before, uh, Gabrielle, uh, during one of the dating episodes. But I always forget she's an epidemiologist, and I should have her on to talk about what she's actually professionally trained to talk about. <laughs> And not just her love life. So I would, uh, when I responded to that tweet, I thought to myself, it would be great to have her on and to do another um, update because some of that technology, I honestly, I was not familiar with the nasal spray that neutralizes COVID of it all. 
And I, I am really moved by the way that very wealthy people are still looking out for their own health and safeguarding their health using technologies that are not widely available. While so much of the political discourse is about how anything that the government does to offer you any protection against COVID is authoritarian. And there's no nuance about the difference between a mandate and a free mask or test or nasal spray that the government can make available to you so you can protect yourself. And it's been something that's been very frustrating to me for a long time on rising. And I'll say that's had a very constructive conversation with Amber unexpectedly last week, one of the guest hosts, um, who, you know, is kind of a COVID critical person, but who wasn't quite as dogmatic as some of the other right chair hosts and was willing to acknowledge that while, yes, she's anti-mandate, there are, she does have some concerns about dealing with a crisis if we've chased the government out of it because we feel like there's something the government can do that's not authoritarian. Um, and so I, I, I agree. I think it's time for another check-in. Are you familiar with the hashtag Davos safe? Hashtag Davos safe? I, I'm familiar with the idea that people were using like UV lasers and stuff at Davos to keep themselves safe. But what what does the hashtag specifically connote? Oh, just to, I mean, it is about the, the precautions they took at the World Economic Forum, but they involved um, rapid PCR tests where your lanyard wouldn't work to get into the conference unless you um, unless you tested negative like right then. Um, you can tell from a lot of the interviews that the windows are open because everybody, all the CEOs being interviewed all have sweatshirts on. They have mm-hmm. HEPA filters in the room. Um, they probably have great inf- air infiltration. Or air filtration. Um, and yeah, it's the type of thing that's like, look, like, the people who are really rich are still making sure that they don't get COVID. If, you, if you're not seeing them wearing masks, it's because they live in a completely different universe and can avoid poor, avoid poor people who have COVID. So it's like, oh, I don't see them wearing masks. It's like, yeah, because you can't get within three zones of them. Like the, the how, Hollywood zone those, system. Does the, does the rapid, do those kind of rapid on the moment tests, does, do they work? Yeah, rapid PCR tests. Um, they're like 40 or 50 bucks, which honestly, it's not that much more expensive than a rapid PCR a rapid uh, antigen test at this point. But yeah, they've had um, they've had those. There's actually there's a company called SafeCheck. They uh, they they promise COVID security for your events, and they run events for the Oscars and also events for the White House, like the Correspondents' Dinner. So that there's a company making sure that rich people are safe, so that on camera nobody has a mask and they can pretend like COVID's over. It's a, the end of COVID has definitely been like a very very uh, I don't know. I, I love. Yeah, no, that's wild. And I, I definitely would like to, I don't know, I, I see stories come across my timeline, uh, new insights into long COVID, this, that, and the other. And there doesn't really seem to be much of an app. To, I mean, I've never talked about COVID very much in the show. My attitude in the first couple of years was I'm not a doctor and I don't know and I'm staying out of it. And obviously rising has forced me to talk about it more than I had before, but the rising audience... They like what they like, and I think there's a certain production emphasis on pulling in COVID stories when it's kind of, kind of, going to kind of validate the audience's priors. But I will make more of an effort to ask them to have on guests that talk about long COVID, the, these kind of Davos precautions, the rich people precautions, and why they aren't being made more widely available to the rest of us. My my main picadillo has been using the funding that was allocated to get air ventilation systems installed in places, public sp- places, especially schools, um, getting that actually implemented, which it which hasn't been done. And, you know, the audience, Robbie will like concede that, yeah, they should do that. Yeah, they should do that. 
but it's not talked about with anywhere near the same urgency as people talked about very desperately needing to not be asked to wear a mask in an airport or whatever. So, yeah, totally. um, I think, yeah, I think, oh, I think you're right. It's time. Walker Bragman's good on that. Um, my forever recommendations are the death panel podcast and Amani Barbarin's crutches and spice. Oh yeah. I like Imani. And then I had uh, one more pitch for you. And it's uh, San Francisco is a microcosm of national politics. Have you been following the injunction stuff? All the what stuff? The, uh, the homeless injunction, the, the fight that's going on over that right now? Yeah. I, I certainly hope that's not the case, but um, you might be right about that. I saw a really interesting thing. I think, think I just saw um, Eliami retweet it. Uh, it was a Reason article, of all things, but focusing on asset forfeiture. And let me see if I can find that. Uh, but, yeah, I... Oh, Limey. I, I like that idea. I mean, I, I've, I've just been having so many fights. I had a big fight with Lee Fong about San Francisco, and I've been a little gun-shy about getting into it just because my adrenal glands can only take so much. But I hear you. I mean, like, you know the stuff like uh, Michael Schellenberger has a nonprofit that's basically, he's, uh, he's paying people to uh, film people on fentanyl on the streets of uh, San Francisco and then broadcast that. And like, surprise, surprise, that's what people think San Francisco is because there's a concerted group of people being funded by a conservative organization that are trying to paint it in the worst possible light. And the mayor's on their side. The political establishment is on their side. They're not on the progressive side. Yeah. I mean, look, I was just there for a wedding a few weeks ago, and I, there is a different tone to the homeless population. There's like a different... Uh, let me not just use euphemisms. I I don't observe. It seems like there's more of an addiction crisis in San Francisco. That seems obvious from looking around. I mean, I was only there for a week, and so grain of salt. Well, who do I know? I'm not an epidemiologist. You know, I'm not a social scientist. But it does seem like the the crisis in, let's say, D.C. I see people who are mentally ill. I see people who are kind of elderly. Um, and I see people who are kind of visibly disabled in other kinds of physical ways, but it's not as, it's not as frequent that I see people fully in the throes of addiction in DC, the way that it seemed like there were a lot of very young people that were clearly struggling with addiction in San Francisco. So I don't want to deny the nature of a crisis because if we do, then you can't address it. My concern is people thinking that you can address it by just doing a mass incarceration and not looking at the relationship between the extreme concentrations of wealth in San Francisco, these in insane housing prices, um, and people who feel like they're not able to take advantage of the I don't know, social contract or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, it's all, there's also a connection with tech. Uh, Gary Tan, the guy from Y Combinator, has been pushing nonstop. And there's like four or five different organizations that are just the same people. And they're all registered to the same Delaware address as the Moms for Liberty. So you can kind of see, like, the, 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 the integration there. And, like, Gary Tan from White Combinator is on, is on the record specifically being like, hey, we're going to do this in San Francisco because if we can get away with it here, we can get away with it anywhere. So, like, they're attacking the most liberal cities in hopes that they can pull them back. And they're saying some really Trump stuff. They, they had an article where they said, we found out where all the drug dealers are from. They're from this town in Honduras. And the average drug dealer makes $350,000 a year. So our DA tried to make it so the people, those people didn't have access to a free, free attorney because they were too rich. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's frustrating. 
that's part of why the immigration narratives um, have been extremely frustrating to me. The fentanyl drug Venezuela stuff, which is part of why I wanted to have the conversation that I had today with Eugene. I was very thankful for him swinging by and giving us a good little dose of um, Venezuela truth. But yeah, it's it's weird to think about because that was the number one thing on my mind last Thursday. And now here we are in a very different newscape. But uh, I I appreciate that suggestion, I saw, and I'm gonna I've taken some notes, um, uh, in my suggestion open email document here. And I and I thank you for calling in. Yeah, for sure. Good talking to you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. All right, let's go to Holly. What's on your mind tonight, Holly? Ooh, I caught Holly off guard. Holly was chilling in the first third of the queue, you know, nearing the front. She didn't think she was going to get I did not. called on randomly. Hello. <laughs> hey, Holly. How are you? Hi. I, d- I called in accidentally. Oh, okay. You don't, No pressure to talk, Holly. <laughs> I heard Holly and I thought, oh, there's another Holly on here. And then I realized <laughs> it's me. No, no. Anything on your mind? No pressure to talk. But you're, you're the floor is yours if you'd like it. Um, nope. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks for telling you, Holly. Keep the faith. Okay. Thanks. Bye. All right. Let me hop around a little bit. Let's go to Jimmy. What's on your mind tonight, Jimmy? You have been missed, lady. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. I I have really missed this as well. I mean, honestly, you know, it's obviously a time commitment and when I'm overwhelmed, you know, I'm obviously happy not to have to do it, but I've missed the interpersonal interaction to get and getting like real world feedback from you guys who I really do trust and feel community with. So the feeling is mutual. Well, we just love you here on Colin. So thank you. Um, I'm just calling in to talk about the Hamas um, notification that the main reason they engaged in this activity was because they don't want the Jews building their temple on the Temple Mount. And I think sometimes that religious side of these conversations gets lost in the haze of all of the, you know, what's going down. But I really do think it's the big issue that the Jews, at least since the 80s, have been talking about rebuilding their temple right on the on the Temple Mount, which is the holiest place in Islam. And our Muslim brothers and sisters are having none of it. And so my question is, you know, do you know about that? Do you think there's any way to resolve this conflict? And how can we move forward and find peace? Yeah, I confess to not being especially knowledgeable about the religious implications of this, that, or the other. I, as a deeply secular human being, uh, am just not clued in. I have some sense of the inve- why evangelicals are so invested in the state of Israel, despite having <laughs> not so much compassion, it seems, for actual just Jewish people in the world, given their politics and the kind of people they support and the reaction to various killings and their hate of any kind of hate crime analysis and all of that. Um, but I, I got it. I, I don't know how, that I can contribute very much there because that is one of my uh, weak spots. Well, when I was a, in university in the 80s, my religion professor talked about how Jewish rabbis were gathering from all over the world to New York to discuss the need to rebuild the temple. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what is that? 40 years ago, they were talking and planning. And ever since then, it's been a huge issue for the Muslim world because that is Abraham's uh, uh, cemetery, the Dome of the Rock. That's where Abraham is buried. It's where they do their pilgrimage, the Hajj. Mm-hmm. When they go on their holy pilgrimage, it's to Temple Mount. And then here you have the Jews who are like, well, we we want to build our temple up there. And I, I personally think the solution would be to go ahead and let them build it. And let's just say we recognize that this is a holy place to both Jews and Muslims and frankly, Christians, too, because we all belong to the, the family of Abraham. And can we come to a meeting of the minds around uh, just having having the big heartedness to say, yes, we can all win on this. It doesn't have to be this huge issue. Now, the Muslims I know, they're not going to take to that very kindly. But it seems to me that that would be a solution to just say there's there's all of these biblical prophecies about the temple being rebuilt at that very location. And, you know, the Muslims are having none of it, at least Hamas. This is their big issue. So I just wondered if you knew anything about it. I'm, I'm afraid not, but I do think it might be interesting to do, because I, I think we're going to be talking about this for some time, but to have some guests that can speak to some of the, I think, more longer, longer-term historical tensions in the region, and also to the extent to which there haven't been tensions. I mean, one of the guests today kept saying, people have been fighting, maybe it was Robbie, people have been fighting here in this region forever. And I'm like, yes and no. People have also coexisted in much more peaceful conditions than this forever before there were escalations. I don't like this kind of, um, I don't know, determinist version of things where we're just all accepting the idea that there never has been and never can be a world in which like a Jewish person and a Christian person and a Muslim person can live next door to each other in a neighborly way without it being fisticuffs all the time. So um, I do think that's an interesting idea for some follow-up episode. I hope you do it because I think it's a conversation that really needs to happen. And uh, our Muslim brothers and sisters need to be listened to. They have major grievances. And I, as a Christian, you know, I acknowledge that. I don't think their rights should be trampled over. They, everyone who wants to go on a Hajj, that's they call it their pilgrimage, to that sacred site should be enabled to do so without any fear of being molested or hurt or shot at. So I'm all for that. But can we find a piece of property where the Jews can build their temple? This is something, again, that the Christian world's very aware of and talks about. But um, anyway, that's just what's on my heart today. I appreciate you calling in, Jenny. I hope to see you again around here in the not-too-distant future because I am going to be less of a slacker on this app. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. All right. Keep the faith, Jenny. Allende, how you doing, my friend? Are you with us, Allende? Can you unmute yourself? Yeah, My hands are weak. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off guard. What are you? What are you doing? Washing dishes? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Uh, I wanted to start by saying, I wanted to start by saying, like, it means a lot to me to be able to talk to you because I watch you every day. So you know, it's, it's, I feel it's some, somewhat special that you do. Um, call it. Well, I, I appreciate you watching, and I appreciate you saying that, really. Um, so, what I wanted to talk about today was, like, your conversation with Crystal and Kyle about, um, like, you know, voting for Biden for the NL, basically for the NL, NLRB. 
Yes, I, I really want to hear this, and I just want you to know that you're coming through kind of distant and faint and a little scritchy-scratchy, and I don't know if you're using USB, like um, wireless headphones. I mean, I was, switch- I was using my earpods just now, but I can, I can play it loud. Is it better? That's already better. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so should I start from the top, or did you No, just, just go from where you are. The Crystal okay. Kyle uh, um, yeah. NLRB stuff. Them basically saying, you know, um, like a vote for Biden is a vote for his NLRB. And if you want to preserve the labor movement, like that's why you should vote for Biden. You're basically saying um, vote for Cornell, for Green, you know, in contrast of the, of the Democratic Party and also like for matching funds and for growing the um, third party movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like so. I live in New York. Mm-hmm. I was, regardless of whether or not, like, how I view a swing state voter, like, if I was in a swing state, right, it would be a real question whether or not I should vote for Biden for the NLRB or for Cornell West. But I'm voting for Cornell West because I live in New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so um, regardless of whether I think, like, what the real estimation should be, I'm going to be voting for Cornell. But him deciding to go independent instead of green, like we don't have the matching funds thing, it made it a lot less um, desirable to me. Not like and that's I, interesting. I yeah, thoughts, your thought, your thoughts on that? No, I I think that that's I think that's a solid point. I mean, honestly, I'm a little confused about what it means for someone to run completely unaffiliated um, in terms of any of this, the, the matching funds, the benefit to some kind of party, you know, what does it mean to say that Cornell is running in part to bring, to build a movement if it's not a movement within a party structure that can survive the, the timing of his literal campaign? What does it mean for him to leave something behind that can persist after the end of this campaign cycle if it's not something that's being set up in a party context? Now, obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders ran as a, dem- you know, in, within the Democratic Party as an independent, but within the Democratic Party. And the critique that he got, rightfully so, I believe, after both elections was dismantling our revolution, shutting down that party infrastructure. So it's, it's certainly the case that you can build something. Like the idea was he built something and then he let it die. So you obviously can build something without it being a separate party and keep it going instead of letting it die. So I'm not completely writing it off at all. And I still plan to vote for Cornell West. But I do think that you're right that there he stripped away some of this argument about what it meant to build up the Green Party in particular um, or some kind of known quantity that could persist after he's done. Yeah. And... And I mean, I mean, what does that what does that mean for you in terms of how you're what, how how you're thinking of voting in New York now? Not that it's you know our business. You don't have to say specifically what your plans are, but how well, are you evaluating I, I all the options? I, I don't mind um t- talking about it. Um, so I mean, right now I'm still leaning in the Cornell West direction, just because like if I'm living in a blue, like it's not as if Biden. I don't believe Biden is doing everything he can possibly. The, you know, I don't think he's trying his best, right, in order to um, help um, working people. So I feel like, just on principle, I shouldn't be voting. I shouldn't be voting for someone I don't think is trying their best. But even still, like, when I was think, really thinking about whether or not I wanted to vote for Biden, like, to me, it's, it's the matter of 
like, uh, uh, let's say however long ago, like, I think it was around the midterms and like his, his, remember when he had a bunch of achievements then and, you know, he was supposedly um, still planning to cancel student debt Mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. Like, I feel like I had, I had had this conversation with a friend, like the, what, what it would take for me to vote for Biden then is like three good, three more like good executive actions. Like if you tell me, um, regardless of whether or not this is likely, I'm just going to list them. Like if you tell me, um, you're going to make, um, stock buybacks illegal. Right. And then I don't know, throw in there, um, uh, getting rid of non-competes. Right. And then one more thing. All right, good. I, mm-hmm. I think maybe, maybe that's worth it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we backslided a whole bunch since then. Um, and I don't, you know, even though I want to, even though I would want to preserve the NLRB, because I live in New York, I, I just don't see that as a reason for me to vote for Biden. Yeah, look, first I want to say, like, even if I might disagree with you on which three things it would take or if it would only take three things, I think that is a perfectly defensible position. And I just want to say that because there's a world in which people who disagree with me about voting third parties come to me and say, this is what's enough for me. And and, and some of this is what Crystal did, and I respect it. I don't agree with it, but I respect it. She's very clear about the fact that for her, the litmus test is these NLRB appointments, that what they've done so far is a big enough boost to the kind of organizing that needs to be done to have a real revolutionary shift, that it is worth it to have Joe Biden in president, uh, president for another term. I disagree with that, but I think that that is a defensible position. And I think that yours is a defensible position. All these other people who are just screaming at the top of their lungs, <laughs> talking about how dare you not vote for Biden, that's insane to me. I'm sorry. That's just wild shit to me. Now, what what does it mean for, like, Biden is nowhere near doing any of those three things. And moreover, my feeling is that the reason that I'm a little reluctant to say, well, if he did X, Y, and Z, then I would vote for him. I think some people should say that, right? I think that if you basically are already going to vote for Biden, your line should be, I will vote for Biden if, and then dangle out some things that he could easily do by executive order. I think that any, doing anything less than that is, like, frankly, negligent because you're basically saying that he can be as bad a president as he wants to be as long as he's he could be literally Donald Trump, but if he's Donald Trump with like uh, giving shipping people free Oreos once a week, then oh, he gets like, to be president, right? Like I, 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 incrementally better in any way, and that's. I kind of wanted to say this to you, um, but just like you know, not that much, but I, I kind of wanted to say this about on that topic, uh-huh. which is like it for me personally, right? And I, I agree with you when it comes to like the he's like slightly better than Trump, that line of, I like you vote blue for, um, no matter who that reasoning for it. Like I, that doesn't, that doesn't work on me whatsoever. Right. I don't care if he's slightly better than Hitler. Like that's not going to work for me in voting continuously to the end of time for people who are slightly better than Hitler. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, what, what line of attack, I'm so much sympathetic to is like he's better than Obama. Like that's he's he's significantly better than Obama. 
the fact that he's moving in the right direction, I'm not going to say that's enough for me. It's not. It's not, like, you know, based on what I said earlier. Um, but it, it, it does work on me that he, is, like, in comparison to his predecessor, who, frankly, was more popular, um, you know, and had, like, the even even, you know, more control of Congress, I feel like that what he's getting done in comparison to Obama, if you compare it to Obama, is a, you know, it, it, I'm sympathetic to it. So I am not ready to concede. I and mean, we could go through point by point and have an argument about whether or not he's better than Obama. But let's say for the sake of argument that he is. If that were to be the case, I think it is not because he has some intrinsic goodness that Obama doesn't have or intrinsic progressiveness that Obama doesn't have. It's because he came into 2020 with conditions that required him to bend the knee and make some concessions to liberals, um, to, to the broad left. And again, if you want that trajectory to continue, it is your obligation to not hand him your vote freely. It is your obligation to continue to make your vote conditioned on him continuing to move in that direction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think this, you know, necessarily takes away from what you just said. I, I kind of, I see your point, but um, the, um, I feel like one way you could, you can kind of color how much, Bi- like how much Biden's hearts in this, I feel might be like, the NLRB, the NLRB appointments, and um, Lisa Khan, like those types of cabinet appointments. Because so far, I've heard like, of course, there's a lot of like bad, you know, shit the Biden administration is doing, right? Or maybe it's ninety percent, ninety nine percent, whatever. But from those two in particular, I don't know. I feel like they've gotten me a lot of goodwill when it comes to Biden, them being, you know, his appointments and what they've done so far. I mean, I'm not, I'm not interested in disabusing you of that, but I, I feel very differently. For one, we're, we're talking about our appointments that last as long as Biden does. We're not talking about any structural changes. And so what we're saying is we're going to, and this is part of my issue, I think, with Crystal's emphasis on this. The Supreme Court, is a huge change, right? Those are changes that last a generation. Those are changes that last. NLRB appointments, it's like saying, it's like saying, while I'm president, we'll have labor rights, but I'm not going to do anything legislatively that makes sure that we have labor rights regardless. So look at how he treated the PRO Act. I remember not so long ago that the kind of DSA, I shouldn't call it that, I'm sorry. Many good people in the DSA. The... Part of the left that decided it hated me over forced to vote. <laughs> Let's call it the TYT left was accusing me of um, being indifferent to the interests of labor and hating labor because I wasn't um, applauding uh, Joe Biden over the PRO Act. And when I had some guests on and asked them about what was going on with the PRO Act and whether or not there should be more criticism, the pivot was very quickly to, well, it's not his fault because of the filibuster. Mm-hmm. And when you ask them, well, why, he doesn't support ending the filibuster. His entire agenda is being hamstrung by the filibuster. It was, oh, uh, mumble, 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 never mind. So it went from, I'm not really pro-labor 
because I am not validating how important it is that Biden supports the PRO Act to how dare you criticize Joe Biden for not supporting the PRO Act because it's not his fault, the filibuster. And I remember that shift. And so that is part of why I am so frankly prickly about the labor issue in particular that's been used over and over again as a cudgel to make people feel like the real serious leftists, the people who really understand struggle and who have read their their books, know that what you need to really care about is the NLRB. And everybody else is just a podcaster who is like, you know, genuflecting for clicks. But when I said, okay, let's care about the PRO Act, where are we on the PRO Act? Suddenly everybody disappeared. And that's why I have some skepticism, not for everyone, obviously, but from time to time about why people are focusing so much on the NLRB, especially since these, again, are appointments that are only going to last as long as um, Biden lasts. So he gets to get credit for this stuff without making any kind of the structural changes that would genuinely empower labor in a generational way that could bring the kind of revolution that I thought we were all sort of fighting for under Bernie. Yeah. Well, I can't argue with that. Well, la- um, before we like, you know, before I, I let you or you let me go, um, I, I have a, I have a pitch, a funny pitch. Sure. Colbert report, but of liberals by leftists. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Katie should do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That would be funny. I'm amused already. Yes. Like, um, and like I, I thought of this. The reason why I thought of this is because I felt like you could make a bulletproof case for why. It's absurd. Not just that it's true, but it's absurd to think that it that um, Israel is not an apartheid state, right? By simply, yeah. like, by like, by being the guy that says it definitely isn't an apartheid state. Re- look at the definition of an apartheid state. Listing all the things Israel says, and then like, like, you know, asking, like, look, actually looking at the audience and being like. Of course it's not an apartheid state. These things, like, I feel like you could, and you, you can't be censored at that point. You didn't actually say that Israel is an apartheid state, and I feel like you could get away with a lot by simply being a fake liberal. Yeah, I think that there's really something there, and I am definitely going to bring that up. I mean, I always, I'm always telling Katie that I think that she should lean into her background as a comedian and that's what she can offer on the left that other people can't and I don't think that every format allows her to riff and be as funny and creative as I find her to be in real life and I feel like that is exactly the kind of lane that I would like for some of these people with that talent in the space to be engaging I mean you know that's the kind of that would have been also Michael Brooks's bread and butter I mean that could be that's a really funny bit (laughs) and um, I just remembered you, you two on Halloween her just a cinema and you as a judge. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm at work, so I have to go. Okay, I'll let you go. Thanks for calling in, Day. It's always All good right. to hear from you. Yeah, Keep the faith. All right, let's go to Case. Case Study QB posting all-star. Pew, pew, pew. How you been? What's going on, Brianna? It's good to... I was thinking about the call-in. You on a call-in the other day, and I was like, I wonder if she's ever coming back. But she's back. So it's great <laughs> to see you. Right, it's good to be here. here. 
Yeah. What's on your mind? I mean, obviously, you know, I feel like I engage with you in your content every single day because the service that you pay for to the left is unmatched. If you have never contributed to case studies, Patreon, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you are missing out because this man does some serious work bringing us the clips from the mainstream news that many of us don't see because we're core cutting millennials and Gen Zers who don't have cable subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, I, I think of myself like remember the time that um, I think it was Matt Taibbi is doing the Twitter files and you're like, why don't you put searches for leftists like, you know, Bernie Sanders and people on the left who got um uh, people on the left who got canceled or whatever, like to try to dig in there and see what the dialogue was on that. And I totally was with you on that. I, I'm not sure why he never really went in that direction, but I see myself as someone who searches the news for the left. You know what I'm saying? From the left yes. perspective. So, and it's so uh, valuable. I, I, now that you bring that up, I, I was thinking, I, I'm going to go in a different direction. Maybe I'll go back after I bring this up real quick. I was thinking about, you're familiar with Drudge Report? Mm-hmm. And maybe even Mediate. Like, Drudge Report is more for Republicans and the right. And Mediate is kind of centrist kind of. And I was thinking of making a website. I already own casestudyqb.com, but I'm thinking about doing that, like, making a website. Because Twitter keeps, you know, suppressing my tweets and stuff. So I'm like, I'm really tired of being a blue check because I have to post longer clips. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. if I could find a way to post longer clips on my own website maybe use youtube or um rumble for the longer clips so that it lives over there but have my own website in the vein of drudge report or media what do you think about that i kind of love the idea okay i i mean the stuff with the you the the twitter no longer being as good of a resource it's Uh very frustrating i mean if you've experienced twitter at its best and uh-huh. felt empowered by how democratized a uh, format it can be, and then experienced what it feels like to be throttled, and then also not knowing, being able to prove that there's been a change. <laughs> exactly. And the gaslighting of what it means to just be able to kind of use, you see your algorithm. Yeah. Like, I, I know, I can tell you the month yeah. that there was this precipitous drop off that has never recovered. I've, I've been have the same number of followers for like two years, <laughs> which, you know, you can say is just because all of a sudden there was one day in March of 2021 that everyone decided to the 3000 people minimum a month who would follow me every month, just all decided uh, en masse to no longer have any interest in me. That's funny. Cause that's the exact same time or around that time. I was thinking February of 2021 that I got throttled. So yep. that's interesting. Yep. I so, basically yeah. with the, the way I identified it was that I initially um, grown the account. I noticed that only when people um, with bigger followings, when they retweeted, that's when pretty much guaranteed that that particular tweet is going to get a lot of views. Mm-hmm. And I built it up to a certain point, like maybe three years into it, that I when I posted a clip, I was guaranteed of maybe about a thousand or more views which i was like wow this is good that on my own i'm getting a good amount of viewership and then that's when around that time like march um or february 2021 something happened and it just everything went back backwards <laughs> yep 
Yeah. So yep. just and I, at, at the time I attributed, I was like, no, maybe it's forced to vote. But mm-hmm. that's what was so weird that like normally, even if people don't like you, you grow. Like if, even if, if even if you're go- trending for something unpopular, you would grow. So, you know, when everyone was coming after me when Bernie dropped out and I said I didn't endorse Biden, it was very negative, right? Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I gained 40,000 followers that month. Wow. April of 2020. Okay. And it, it was very negative, right? It was, That's it was mostly people saying negative from. things. <laughs> but it still grew. And when I was a journalist, even, you know, I knew that if I wrote an article, then I, I was going to get 2,000 follower, new followers from the article. That was just like basic math. And that was true when I had 10,000 followers. And that was true when I had 100,000 followers. Okay. Uh, and then all of a sudden, no matter what happened, no matter how viral an episode went, no matter if there was a big tweet, no matter if there was a big debate, no matter if there's a firestorm, you know, okay. nothing changes. It's completely flatlined. Yeah. And so if I tweet about that, I get a bunch of bots also telling me that I'm delusional and crazy and all the Vouch types come and, oh, Brianna, she's so narcissistic that she thinks that she's being throttled instead of people just not being interested in her. So they try to gaslight you out of even talking about it. Yeah, nah, nah, I totally uh, hear you on that one. But uh, y- your powers still work when you retweet one of my tweets. I get a lot of viewership on it. So just uh, Well, I'm glad to hear bit. that because I mostly <laughs> don't even bother tweeting anymore. I just retweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely get a larger view. Sure, I think um, I can't remember the recent one that it actually was the biggest uh, clip in a, a while. It's hit over 100k. I'm trying to. Oh, I'd love to hear up. that. Wait, which one? Yeah, okay. I, I'll look it up while I um. I wanted to talk also to you about I uh, just clipped today. I don't know if you saw it yet. Kind of fresh, uh, like around 3 p.m. That DSA. So they had a pro-Palestinian uh, rally. Yes. Interested in a couple local. Um, I clipped a couple local channels from New York. Um, touched on it, and then I think I think CNN and um, I don't know Fox Business also touched on it, but in a negative light, where they said, "Oh, DSA is a uh, pro-Palestinian and they're rallying in favor of Israel," and then they tied them to the squad, like saying, "Oh, oh I see." The- the six congressional squad members are also DSA members. And I was like, okay, this is where they're going with that. Yeah. LOL. Pretty I see that here. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can get it. Let me mm-hmm. see if I can get it going. Does this still yeah. work? Can I still not use the soundboard? Well, you may have seen the video. Hundreds gathered in Times Square yesterday for a pro-Palestine demonstration in response to the Iran-backed Hamas militant group's attack on Israel over the weekend. Watch this. Today's front page of the New York Post calling that a vile rally and showing one demonstrator holding up a swastika on their phone. Let's bring in Fox News radio radio political analyst Josh Kroshauer and Fox News contributor Guy Benson. Uh, Guys, I don't even know where to start with this, but um, I'll pull up that video again because here's the thing. It was organized by the Democratic Socialists of America. It's a group, by the way, that includes six House members, uh, uh, a couple of members of the squad. And this is what the DSA said about what happened over the weekend and what continues to happen. They said this. It tweeted, these events are a direct result of Israel's apartheid regime, a regime that receives billions in funding from the United States. Guy, I'll start with you. What's your response to that kind of thinking? 
It's sick. It's morally bankrupt. Within minutes of women and children and elderly people being wantonly slaughtered by terrorists, you had people... I can't even. I'm sorry. I can't even listen to him. I can't even. Uh, I'm sorry. It's a tough one. I did see uh, Kathy Hochul come out condemning the DSA yeah. protest, and then I saw Adam Eric Eric Adams. Eric Adams doing it. Although he he did at least say you have the right to protest, which yeah. is not what some of these other people seem to be intimating when it comes to pro Palestine protests. Anyway, yeah. But um, yeah, you're doing you're doing the Lord's work. The the last thing uh, clip I want to point out, and then I'll jump out, was that um I don't know if you saw the, the Bill Maher clips. I, there was two of them I posted. One of them was a terrible take on small donors like his guest said something like um what are you guys doing um donating five dollars can't you spend that on applebee's <laughs> applebee's i was like what it is a terrible take but um much love to you brie appreciates all that you're doing and the advice on the website so look out for that soon i'm, I'm working on it the last thing is the uh, mutual aid party.org i'm also working on which is in the testing phase so if anybody want to help me test the web app kswqb at gmail.com let me know if you want to be a tester and this is basically a, a help desk ticketing system for mutual aid so anybody can post a ticket say hey i need my mo- lawn mow- mown and then anybody can go there and help other people so they will see that ticket and say oh you live by me i can help you out so that's what, the other thing i'm working on okay i love to hear it thank you case it's always right. such a pleasure have a great one all right you too keep the faith okay omar you are up and i'm seeing a bunch of people saying they want me to call jam up so jam look alive but Omar, what's on your mind first and foremost? Hey, Bree, it's been a while. It has been. Um, How have you been? What's what you thinking about this evening? I'm thinking about uh, what's going on right now in Palestine. Um, one of the things that uh, came up in some other podcasts that I uh, follow is that um, somebody was asking, well, if you know Jews who have the power in Israel don't want Palestinians there, why don't they? just let them leave Gaza, just let them flee. And one of the things uh, that a lot of people don't talk about, um, and and this is kind of bringing me to a suggestion for a guest, Shir Hever, S-H-I-R-H-E-V-E-R. He's a Jewish Israeli economist, and he talks a lot about the economics of the occupation. And much like the um how africans were exploited uh and and made this country rich through their free labor um and it was hard for these slaveholders to quit slavery uh that's you know that's why texas seceded from mexico part of the reason uh is because they were just making a lot of money from it and so this is another thing that 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 is happening that where capitalism exacerbates a a a tragedy that's going on uh, and the um gaza the west bank are basically laboratories for surveillance technology for weapons that they then take to uh conferences to trade shows and say they're battle tested or we've used this effectively and so it it perpetuates the the occupation and and it also explains why they're not being let out of gaza um that's my take on it 
but I mean, this is reflected. There's a there's a documentary by a an Isra- a Jewish Israeli as well, um, Yotam Feldman, called "The Lab" uh, that came out in 2013, where he gets into this, and and so this is like, so this is another level of dehumanization, um, and and this is something that's not brought up. But I mean, I'd like to suggest you know inviting him. Uh, you can see him being interviewed in uh, the Real News Network, if you ever followed them, um, or Paul Jay as well. So I'm sorry, can you say the name again? Sheer Hever, uh, S-H-I-R, mm-hmm. Sheer, and then Hever, H-E-V, as in Victor, E-R. Uh, you can find interviews on, on YouTube with him. He's in Heidelberg, Germany. Okay, thank you for that. I love a recommendation. I really do appreciate that, Omar. Take care. All right, take care. Keep the faith. Bye. All right, I am coming to... Oh, Jam, you're really back here. Okay. (laughs) How are you doing, Jam? What's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself for us, Jam? Jam, the people are calling your name. The the crowd is getting out of control. I I, I can hear digital, you know, um, Queen. We will we will rock you stomps reverberating through the 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 internet sphere in anticipation of your commentary. You see, I think that Jam coming from the back. Back, Eileen in the back of the line really thought that he wasn't going to be called on. Jam really thought he had time to go take out the trash and, you know, clean his retainer and do those other evening time activities without getting called on. But he was wrong. So instead, I'm going to go to Jin Z Do. Feel free to get back in line, Jam, and I'll circle back if we are still going uh, when you come back. Gen Z do you seem like a new face? So I wanted to call on you. What's on your mind? Hello, 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 hello. Brianna Joy Gray, I love That's you so name. much. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind tonight? Ah, just so much is on my mind. Um, I really appreciate the last caller was talking about um, Israel Palestine as a experiment of surveillance and i think that's something that we don't often focus on that gaza is like literally the most densely populated place on the earth and it's just walled in it's militarized and those people can't leave it's a prison it's a concentration camp and this isn't just some issue of um, politics that it's one side versus the other. This is a human atrocity. Yeah, I saw someone um, try to get across how densely populated Gaza is by doing this analogy and in an interesting tweet thread um, to Rhode Island. And they made a map that said, like, imagine this is Rhode Island, but imagine it's Gaza and like put the name, plotted the name of um, locations in Gaza on the map. 
and described it as such. She said, anyone from Rhode Island would be trapped within its borders. Rhode Islanders can't leave without express permission from Massachusetts. Connecticut is complicit in this plan, effectively restricting any movement from those trapped in Rhode Island. Keep in mind that Rhode Island is the second most densely populated state in the U.S., with 10 times more land and half the amount of people of the Gaza Strip. If we do a basic proportion for this analogy, land slash population, Rhode Island's population would be 26 million people. So you have to imagine 26 million people living in the smallest state in the country, which is already the most densely populated state in the country. That's what it's really something to think about. Yeah, it's really quite horrible. But something that has just been on my mind and it's somewhat been talked about tonight is just how, I mean, to me, it doesn't really seem like there's much of a left left um, during 2016 and 2020. It really seemed like we were some sort of force with the Bernie campaign or that at least people like us existed. Um, And I know that there's the labor movement happening, but I get really frustrated with um, the conversations around that. Like when you were debating Crystal and Kyle, it just seemed like, uh, you know, oh, Joe Biden's doing the best that he can with labor and labor is the moment and all of our, uh, you know, faith should be with labor. But it's not like labor lost all of its power for no reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there was systemic political uh, mechanisms that were put in place uh, for labor to lose all of its power. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't seem like any of that is being really reckoned with in this moment. It's just like, oh, it's just all very hopeful. And like something's happening, but I feel like that story has already happened. We already did that and it already fell apart. And it just doesn't seem to me like there is a very strong organizational force on the left to unite us. Um, I know Cornell West just went independent and then I was listening to Savvy Sab's interview, Jill Stein. It seemed like Jill Stein might jump in as the Green Party candidate because mm-hmm. she believes that the Green Party infrastructure is too much to give up on. Um, it just seems like there is, like we are disorganized to a point where even though this would be a great moment, 2024, to have an organized left, I just don't see it. I mean, this is, I mean, I do kind of have this question. Like, first of all, if we're serious at all about either doing it for, with the Green Party, so they can get federal matching funds, or just picking whatever it is and not dividing our already small ranks by splitting up, I did kind of wonder this, and I, I don't want to, I didn't want to, like, I, I, I'm so supportive of um, Claudia de la Cruz and the Socialist Party's candidate that I didn't really want to put her in the position of having to ask this, but answer this, but, you know, what are we supposed to do? Like, 
why isn't Cornell West the candidate across several different parties the way that you can have someone running as a Democrat and working families in New York? Like, why why isn't Cornell West the Socialist Party candidate, the Green Party candidate? And, like, why are we being forced to split it up? And why isn't there more behind-the-scenes conversation happening about how to best unite the left in a way that is vi- valuable for our shared interests in the in the 2024 election? And I got to tell you, I said this a little bit to Eugene today. It's frustrating to me because when I tried to raise these concerns about how to make the most of 2024 back in 2021, people told me that I was overly focused on electoral politics. Now, here we are in 2023, and nothing's prepared infrastructurally, and no one knows quite what to do. And people are like, oh, well, we can't focus on electoral politics because it's such a mess. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is self-sabotage. <laughs> like, no. I, I, I completely agree that electoral politics is in the be-all, end-all. But I am not bringing this up. Every time you say labor, I'm not saying, okay, but what about 2024? I'm like, okay, then let's talk about labor. But if you ever try to bring up doing anything constructive to maximize the advantages of these election years that are coming, whether we like them or not, then up until the moment of the election year, it's, oh, we, sh- we can't care about that. That's not what the left is about. And then the left wants to be all sad that it doesn't have its ducks in a row. And it's, I got to tell you, it's very frustrating for me to watch this very predictable shit show unfold. I've been saying this when it was Marianne. I said it about Marianne, if it was going to be someone else. And when people, when I tried to, I tried to have a conversation about this. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make this about me. (laughs) Last summer I had uh, the RBN crew on because I wanted to do a thought experiment about who our dream candidates would be. And I even put out Cornell West's name. I was like, whatever, let's just fantasize. What's the dream? And then we can talk about how to make that dream a reality. But everyone was so single focus, single-mindedly focused on talking about how terrible Marianne was that we never had an affirmative conversation about what our dream would be and how to make the most of it. I don't need it to be Marianne, but I need us to be able to have a conversation that's affirmative and productive and not just tearing people and other ideas down or explaining why if you care about this, then you're not a real leftist or whatever it is. And so, I don't know. I, I, I tend to agree... I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I'm genuinely uh, confused. I'm still inclined to support uh, Cornell West, but it does take the wind out of our sails, I think. It, it does, it, it is frustrating as a voter for there to be so much instability and seemingly like a lack of focus and direction at this point on the campaign. Yeah. Well. Thank you for taking my call. It's good to talk to you. Thank you for calling in. It's good to chat with you, Gen Z Do. Yes, Gen Z Doomer. What is it? Gen Z Doomer. Sorry. Doomer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like that. All right. I hope it's not too Doomery over there. Keep the faith, my friend. All right. Did Jam try to hop back on? No. So I'm going to go to Joshua. And Joshua, we are at the two-hour mark, so you're likely to be my last caller for the evening. No pressure. I will say that nobody has tried to talk to me about astrology for all that you were big mad about it on the Internet. So I'm taking that as a, an endorsement of me doing silly things. LOL. 
I definitely endorse you doing silly things. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, Um, Joshua? I'm doing good. There's just a lot of shit going on in the world, and definitely we miss you on uh, Colin. And I know you're trying to figure out how to keep it going once Colin's gone. Uh, That was news to me when I was seeing you with uh, Kyle and Crystal when you mentioned Colin was going away. I was like, oh, shit, that was news to me, so... Yeah, um, it's gonna be. They're they're gonna they're not even gonna leave up the scaffolding either. They're they're gonna pull the whole thing down at some point in the not too distant future, is my understanding. So enjoy well, it while it lasts. Yeah, I like the engagement. Um, seeing this whole thing happen with uh, Hamas and Gaza, my first reaction when I learned that they breached a wall and invaded multiple towns was just that was kind of impressive. I mean, I didn't even know they could do that because. That barrier, like I was watching this great documentary from Abby Martin called Gaza, mm-hmm. and that barrier was just considered impenetrable, and they've killed so many civilians who did a peaceful march against it. And mm-hmm. the fact that they managed to even breach it and invade a lot of towns, nine towns, I guess it was, but they've been pulled back now, uh, was just militarily impressive, let alone... You kind of, I always expected them to shoot some rockets because they kept doing these incursions in the West Bank for the past year. And I'm just like, well, it's bound to happen, rockets. But this whole operation just seemed to, it was definitely, in my view, from my eyes, it seems like the third intifada. Uh, What's interesting to me, it would be really funny to see if Palestinians were given Ukrainian citizenship because only then Palestinians would be considered Mm. humans. Mm. Like why didn't Russia attack Gaza? Because if they did, then all of a sudden Palestinians would be considered people that Americans have to care about. But because Israel is doing it, maybe that is a fascinating thought experiment. I don't know what America would do if Russia attacked Gaza and this weird topsy turvy world. It's just hypocrisy, because if if Ukraine shoots drones that hits civilian targets in Moscow, which they have been doing, and it's kind of standard in war, they'll shoot rockets at each other and drones. You know, no one bats an eye on that, but you have Israel that's basically openly talking about reducing Gaza to rubble. It's like, oh, yeah, they deserve it. It's, It's ridiculous. Yeah, there's a, um, I mean, uh, how many times can we say the hypocrisy is outrageous? <laughs> I mean, that's why, and this, I will say, this is why it's hard to talk about because, like, I would like personally, for my own personal ethics and my own desire to never lose sight of people's humanity, to have the space to acknowledge the tragedy, the human tragedy that so many Israelis are caught up in civilians, innocent mm-hmm. people, right? Like, I want to have the space to do that. And I'm not comfortable feeling like because of the overwhelming bias of the media, any words that I might articulate to that end could be clipped and characterized as me doing kind of like both siderism on this. And I don't want to do that. But also there's something that's almost humanity stripping for me from not being able to say honest and honestly, obviously true thing, like a bunch of people who were innocent died and that's horrible and a tragedy for their families and a loss of life. And I intrinsically value human life, but like, this is the world we're in and the bias is so overwhelming Mm 
Mm-hmm. That like it does feel like it. Dim- I mean, it sucks. But now we are in a world where it does feel like a diminishment of all that Palestinians have been suffering under wordlessly and without comment for decades. Mm-hmm. If there is an too much compassion showed for, for Israelis who, of course, deserve compassion, too. And that that is why I find this to be so difficult to cover. Like, I don't. Like, not in this kind of context where you can talk at length and not be cut off, but, like, on Rising, when you're talking in, like, eight-minute clips, it's, I don't know. I just am not, I'm not looking forward to the rest of this week. No, it's going to be a really bloody week. And, frankly, given the events that happen, it wouldn't surprise me if Israel just did a full-scale invasion and just reduce Gaza to rubble like they said they would. I mean, it's going to be probably 10,000 deaths minimum when this is all over, which will basically be the biggest human rights atrocity in, in the Palestinian territories since 67. And what's funny is you even have the Saudi peace plan that's been on the table for decades at this point, which basically Hamas already ascribed to. And the whole thing was just go back to the 67 borders. That's it. We are forfeiting the territories of Israel outside of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and uh, Gaza, and basically Hamas, Fatah, uh, the PFLP, I mean, all of them would agree to peace, which was basically a deal orchestrated by Saudi Arabia, and Israel turned it down for obvious reasons, because Netanyahu has been pretty honest about this since the 90s. He believes that there's two Palestinian states, and he wants to get rid of one of them. He thinks Jordan is a Palestinian state, and that the Palestinians are being greedy for wanting two of them, which is just an absurd ideology. What should I read on this? Because I, I did find myself, and I said this to Neil with tears a little earlier. Uh, Professor David Guy said, like, literally the opposite. This is a talking point I keep hearing coming up. And I think RFK Jr., if I recall correctly, said this, too, during one of his screeds on the subject. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, it's it's Palestinians who rejected the compromise deal it's the the two-state solution it's the palestinians who rejected whatever state compromise was offered Mm -hmm. up to them and so i really do i just like what should i read what do i have to google to really get my facts straight on that because i i anticipate having to do that pushback well again in the coming days here's the thing that's the beauty about being a propagandist is they will say something that's technically true but misleading so the most current peace offer is not something they rejected. A past peace offer was rejected. They talk about the Barak Peace Accord, something from Camp David, which basically was a peace deal that Yasser Arafat turned down. That is true. They did turn it down. But what's interesting about that peace deal is they never showed you maps. So Mm. all they said was, oh, we're going to give Palestine 98% of all the West Bank and Gaza, but they never showed you any maps. So what the maps showed was that that they would break up the West Bank and Gaza into nine districts controlled by borders and highways that the military of Israel would still control. They would have no control over their natural resources. They would have no control over their borders. They would have no control over their airspace. All they could do was just vote on laws for street signs and basically have a flag. And of course, Yasser Arafat was just like, fuck no, that's not a good Mm. deal. Like the land is ours, but we have no sovereignty. We're basically uh, a a sub-state to Israel with that deal. 
And of course, mm-hmm. when they rejected it, Israel was able to walk back and say, look, look, we tried and they turned it down and it's worked for 25 years now. That deal has been 25 years ago. And they still okay. reference that same deal, which is technically true that Yasser Arafat turned it down. But that deal was just so abhorrent that no, no country. I mean, Ukraine wouldn't accept a deal like that if Russia gave it to them. So why should the Palestinians? That's a good point. And I see somebody in the chat recommending something to read uh, by Nora Erekat. So I'll scream grab Mm -hmm. that and I'll look into that as well. You know, this is why, I mean, part of why you guys are just such an invaluable resource. I I learned so much from you. You, I, I cannot believe the brain trust that is this audience. So I just want to say that again. Mm-hmm. Y'all, y'all which is, are, y'all are which is why, which is why I, as one of them, certainly would hope this uh, community keeps going wherever you keep this going, whether it's YouTube or something else, and definitely keep us posted on Patreon I, or whatever. Yeah, I definitely will. I'm not going to disappear without a trace. I see some folks saying you want to talk about the Harvard statement. I'm going to see if I can get us to do a segment on it tomorrow, maybe on Rising. Um, because I'm afraid we're at the two-hour mark and I've got to bounce. You know me. Part of why I had to quit this thing <laughs> is because I get addicted to it. You know, I'll stay on here for four hours and ruin my sleep schedule and not close my rings and destroy my life because um, I just can't quit you. But I'm going to be strong. I really enjoy talking to you, Joshua. I want to try to follow up on the Harvard thing because I do think that's an interesting story. Um, Thank you, Bree. And I'm going to play us out. Thank you, Joshua. Keep the faith. With the Lupe fiasco song, the aforementioned uh, critique of Barack Obama. I will see you guys in the not too distant future. And of course, I'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early on Rising. Take care of yourselves. And I know it's a rough, rough world, but um, keep the faith.
Miss the payment, they can take you home away. 